Today's subject on Radio Lab will be flowers in meadows. Coming up after this. We're not doing that. We're doing, we're doing an hour on parasites. Mm. These little creatures that live inside us invisibly and yet can have a huge influence over who we think we are. What is a parasite precisely? A moocher. Mm. And just to sort of slide us in, yeah, get please. us into the mood. I'm already not in the mood. <laughs> we thought we would get things started. Maybe I'll just move this. Okay. Okay. No, I don't well, there really is no other way to start a show on parasites except with this guy. You should introduce yourself. My name is Carl Zimmer. Carl's a science writer. Yeah. And parasites have been on his radar ever since he was a little boy. I grew up on a little farm, and my mother would raise tomatoes sometimes in her vegetable garden. And uh, sometimes there would be these caterpillars feeding on them, and my mom would be very annoyed. And every now and then I would notice that some of them didn't look very well, and they had this little sort of fuzzy white bumps on them. And I didn't really know what they were. Well, it turned out that they had been um, attacked by a parasitic wasp, which had laid its eggs inside of it. Those eggs had hatched and had become larvae. And those larvae were swimming around inside that caterpillar while it was eating my mother's tomatoes. And they were growing. Growing inside the caterpillar. And then finally, when they were ready, they, they came out. And only then did their host die. And when he finally found out that that is what was happening inside those fuzzy white bumps. This profound situation. This whole that, universe of uh, babies growing into adolescence. That's when I guess I sort of got very hooked. Which is probably an understatement because you are sort of like capital P Parasite Man. <laughs> and if you look yeah. in the New York Times or Science Magazine or any of the places Carl writes, a suspicious number of his articles are pretty flattering to parasites. People have been dismissing parasites for a long time, calling them degenerates. Now, I would argue that parasites are not degenerate. They have gained the ability to live inside three, four, five, six different species. So do you find that you sort of, you're a lawyer for them? <laughs> hey, sir, you call this degenerate. How dare you, sir, say that? I, I think I'm a defender of all neglected and put upon species out there. Why wouldn't a parasite be what I think you mean when you say degenerate, because it's a tiny little thing, it infects something else, it sucks whatever. Yeah, it's not independent. Right. So when you say it's not degenerate, what do, why, why do you say that? Well, let's start with saying it's not independent. Are any of us independent? Kit Carson. <laughs> huh? If you stripped all the bacteria out of Kit Carson, Kit Carson would get very sick. Daniel Boone, on the other hand. Now there's a guy, independent, alone in the woods. What does Daniel Boone eat? <laughs> I guess Daniel Boone eats pigeon like the rest of us. What's your point, Carl Zimmer? My point is that Daniel Boone eats meat. He ate bread, which came from plants. Well, it's a question of degrees, though. We're not living inside the intestinal tract of some other creature. So why does living inside seem like it's a degenerate thing as opposed to us? You know, we can't even synthesize a lot of our own vitamins anymore. We're degenerates in a lot of ways. No, Carl. Right. No, Carl. If you are a creature that lives off someone else's vitality. Yes. Cheaters, cheaters would be another way of putting it. But listen, can you appreciate how hard it is? I'm just going to cut this short right here. Carl says no. No, no, they're amazing. Time and time again, he says no. No, no. And the argument went on. Still waiting to hear about how you, how you are able to photosynthesize yourself. It's true, yourself. I until, eat, until I eat you plants that do it for me, but yes. I go about it in a manful way. You can't even do it yourself. Like I said, you the eat, argument went on and on with Robert saying one thing and Carl firing back and me adding another. And here's what we're going to do. Just to be fair and square about this, we're going to bring in an independent moderator. Lulu! Yeah? Come. You're going to be the moderator. Yeah, you get that mic right there. You're going to be the moderator and uh, you listening right now we will leave it to you, your decision, in this one lightning round 
of, go ahead. Shall I do? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Parasites. Are they evil or are they awesome? Starting with number one, the, the parasitic, parasitic wasp. wasp. There are probably 200,000 species of parasitic wasps out there. Big wasps, small wasps. They're generally pretty tiny. And they go after all sorts of things. So some will lay them in... Carl's caterpillars, spiders, or the one Carl's going to tell us about? This, this particular wasp is called Ampulex compressa. Goes after... A cockroach. And for those of you who never thought you'd feel sorry for a cockroach, keep listening. So what it does is it flies around and it looks for a cockroach. And once it finds that cockroach, it lands. And then the fight begins. They tumble back and forth, around and around, until finally the wasp somehow manages to arch its back around the body of the cockroach. And uh, stings it. Right in the belly. The cockroach twitches for a second, and then falls. Boom. The cockroach is paralyzed. Now the wasp takes its time, repositions itself, puts its butt up right near the cockroach's head, and delivers a second sting. The stinger actually sort of threads its way to a particular spot in the brain. And this does something odd. Moments later, the cockroach recovers, sort of stands up and can walk again. But something is wrong, very wrong. It just stands there. Like, I'm, I'm awake, but... It can't run away. It can't move. It has essentially lost its will. What does that mean? Uh, it's a puppet. Yes, it's, it is a puppet. It's become a zombie, basically. And so now the wasp will literally grab onto the cockroach's antenna and start pulling on it. How does it grab? With what does it grab? I believe with its mouth. Huh. Imagine a tiny wasp guiding a cockroach across the desert floor. Like a dog on a leash. And so it leads it down, down, down. Down into a little burrow it's made. And the cockroach says, okay, wherever you want to go. Then, once the wasp has the roach in the burrow, it lays its eggs on the underside of the cockroach. So now you've got this drugged roach sitting on top of some wasp eggs. And then the wasp goes out and it seals the burrow. It buries the cockroach alive? Well, it's... Or it's it just in, puts them in a cell? It, it's in a little chamber. A little I mean, chamber. it doesn't want to kill the cockroach because this cockroach is going to feed its... Young. It's young, yeah. So then the eggs hatch. And then they drill inside the cockroach, which is still just sitting there. How's it staying alive at this point? Well, parasites are very careful. You know, they won't eat vital organs that would kill it. Instead, Carl says, they just feast on the extra stuff. There's a lot of stuff inside of a cockroach, a lot of fluid just floating around. Bits of Wonder Bread, <laughs> yeah. essence of skin, old hair. That you can just feed on, and the, the host stays alive. Wow. And then what happens? Eventually, the little baby wasp larva grows up inside the cockroach. And develops into an adult. And then one day... The wasp eats its way up a little hole out of the, out of the cockroach's body, shakes off its wings and flies off. And then the roach dies. Then the roach dies. And only then? Yeah. That, to me, sounds like a, the purest description in nature of evil that I can imagine. Wouldn't you agree? Well, well, Darwin certainly said that God should not be personally blamed for having created parasitic wasps. 
But if you ask Carl, he'll have you think about that moment, the moment where the wasp stings the brain. Parasitic wasp can attack a cockroach and insert its stinger into one specific part of the cockroach's brain and inject a precise little cocktail of drugs that then turns the cockroach into its slave. I know that that wasp didn't get a PhD in neurobiology. And yet it has performed a kind of brain surgery. Very precisely, in a very elegant way. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Or evil, might be the other way. Okay, go, go ahead. But there's a complexity there that you can't deny. Or can you? We leave it to you, bringing us to example number two. Parasitic nematode. I mean, here's here's a, another example that I actually was looking at today. Okay, you're holding your computer up to the glass. And on the screen is a big black ant. It looks like it's carrying a cherry. Right. A cherry that's about twice the size of the ant. That red cherry is actually parasites inside of the ant, making it look like a red cherry. What part of the ant is that? Is that its butt? Essentially, yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Is it? It looks like it's sticking its big red butt up into the air. Yeah, their behavior has changed. So they, they waggle around their, their, their tail, as it were. Now, why on earth would a parasite turn an ant's butt red and then make it stick its butt up into the air? Well, <gasps> let's say you put an ant down that has this bright red rear end and an ordinary ant in front of a bird. Bird's going to go for that red ant very quickly. Because it thinks it's a berry. Yeah. And then what? It's going to swallow this little package full of nematode eggs. So that's the way the nematode eggs get into the sky? They buy their airplane tickets by advertising themselves as berries. Yes. What's the benefit of being in the air? Well, the the only place that this parasite can uh, reproduce is inside the bird. And how better to spread your seed far and wide than to drop from the sky with the bird's droppings. That is brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, look at the, it, it, its red <laughs> is up in the air. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like, how can a stupid little thing be so brilliant? Because they're not degenerates. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still cheating. Mm. And then just to bring his point home. Just to pick a common one. Carl offered up his third and final example. Number three, blood flukes. Blood flukes are um, related to flatworms, tapeworms. So their eggs start out in the water. Freshwater in Africa, Asia, parts of South America. In the first part of their life, they go into a snail and they come back out into the water. And they're swimming around and they start looking for a human. So imagine a foot going into the shallow end of the pond. Mm -hmm. I see toes, I see bottom of foot, I see ankle. Well, if you're a blood fluke, you don't see anything, you don't have eyes. Oh, sorry. (laughs) But eventually you find a foot, secrete a little enzyme. Basically turn a little bit of skin into butter. And you slip into the vein, and now you're going to swim my circulatory system. You're going to ride along in the blood. And now it's time to find a mate. A mate? So there's sex, so there's male and female, is what you're saying. Sure, they're animals. They're animals? I would have never called them animals. That's interesting you say that. That's a whole other topic, I guess. So, all right. So (laughs) So the female is very thin. It's sort of a standard issue worm kind of thing. But the male is very strange. It's it's kind of like like a canoe. It's got a big trough down the middle. Uh, And at one end, it's got a giant sucker 
Should we urge some of our listeners to tune away at this point because what is about <laughs> to happen may not be acceptable in family hour? Well, um, actually, blood flukes are, are fairly uh, monogamous and loyal. So, you know, if you're looking for, or for animals to reinforce your family values, blood flukes <laughs> are pretty good. And eventually, two blood flukes find their way toward each other, and the male does a sort of courtship. For whatever reason, the female says, yes, I, I accept your courtship. The female joins the male, sort of fits in the trough. Oh, so it's like a groove. The female goes and occupies the groove. Right. Now, this isn't just, this isn't mating. This is way beyond mating. The males will feed the female, for starters. And they will stay this way for... A long, long time. Really? Yeah. Like days? Years. Years? Years? Yeah. Oh, my God. Years in human time or years to them? Just years, 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 years. Years like the earth going around the sun kind of years? Yes. In fact, there have been cases where people show up at their doctors feeling awful. And the doctor does some tests and says, Oh, you've got blood flukes. Hmm. Now, you had to have been in Africa to get this disease. When have you been in Africa? And the person said, 40 years ago. What? 40? Yeah. 40? 40 years ago, yeah. And, and the reason that they're getting sick is that these male and female blood flukes are still together making eggs. And Carl's literally glowing when he says this. I, I, I have to admit, I do love the thought that um, parasites are among the most monogamous animals on the planet. It's, it's heaven. I mean, you're going to spend the rest of your life together. And so our story concludes with the image of two blood flukes spooning in your veins for nearly half a century. You gotta hand it to him, he's good. Carl, you mean? Yeah. yeah. And there is a, a species of tapeworm that's gonna be named after me. No kidding. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's not quite as much of an honor as you think at first. I was talking with a parasitologist and she was telling her fellow expert about how she was going to name one for me. And then they got into a conversation about, you know, that was good that you named that particular tapeworm for him because he's kind of thin and it's kind of a thin <laughs> tapeworm. You know, my aunt, is, she's, she's a little round and it's a kind of a round tapeworm that I named her after. And you suddenly discover there are a lot of tapeworms to be named. How many is a lot? I mean, Tens of thousands of species of tapeworms. Wow. So they got us beat many times over. I once saw estimates that if you took all the viruses in the ocean and you stuck them end to end, how far would it go? And um, it was many light years way beyond our galactic neighborhood. In other words, there are more cheats than there are honest people, honest creatures on Earth. Oh, yeah. We should, we should go to break, don't you say? Okay, I think we should. Thanks to Lulu Miller and, of course, Carl Zimmer, who has written many books, including Parasite Rex, a book we shamelessly parasitized for the making of the previous segment. I also want to encourage you to go to our website where you can find pictures of the uh, the blood fluke spooning, the ant with the swollen red butt, <laughs> and, of course, the uh, wasp with the cockroach. Nature porn, and it's all yours. At Radiolab.org. <laughs> <laughs>